0: A-M-E-N The Alpha Male Entertainment Network Broadcasting from Humidor 1A In the Cigar City of Tampa, Florida U-S-A Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Day.
1: I cannot believe it is June 1st. Hard to believe. It seems like we were just conducting Happy New Year champagne and sparkling wine tasting maneuvers. Time has been flying this year and the countdown to the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Operation Overlord, the invasion of Normandy, storming the beaches by the Allied forces to overthrow the Nazi war machine. Occurred June 6, 1944. And in hour two of today's show, we are joined or will be joined by three very special guests that are going to recreate the D-Day Eve Jump paratroop, uh, parachuting behind enemy lines as they did 75 years ago, June 5, 1944. And we will... We will get to that in hour two. We recorded that earlier this week. We recorded it on Wednesday. The reason being is those three gentlemen left yesterday for Paris and ultimately Normandy. Twenty-two incredibly patriotic Americans. They're all involved with Horse Soldier Distillery in St. Petersburg, Florida. We have had them all on uh, in the past Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner, Brennan Hollinger. They are going to be jumping on Wednesday, the day before D-Day, and we are going to be recording our D-Day 75th anniversary show from the American Victory Ship next Thursday on D-Day itself, where there's some big festivities going on, the American Victory Ship, a comfort ship. That saw time in World War II. It was brought back, restored. It is uh, it is docked in the port of Tampa. So we will be conducting the show from there. We have much to get to today, but as always, your global five-star general and alpha male-in-chief, extending a long ash, snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. As always, coming to you from the friendly confines, cigar-friendly and pleasure-friendly confines of Command Center Alpha Humidor One A in the Cigar City of Tampa. Hope you had a uh, meaningful Memorial Day weekend. That during Memorial Day weekend you enjoyed going out to the beach or golf or barbecues, but at the same time reflected on the true meaning of Memorial Day this past Monday. And over the course of the weekend, I watched. On PBS, their Memorial Day concert, Exceptional. If you did not watch it, if you did not see it, it was Sunday evening. Go to PBS.org. I believe they have a replay on PBS.org. It was exceptional. Incredibly emotional. Always very well done. Joe Mantegna hosts it. Uh, Dennis Hayspert was on it. Just very, very well done. And so I caught up on a couple of movies as well. I wanted to look at some diff- catch at some different movies. And one of the films that I actually saw, a documentary, that I was not intending upon watching, but it intrigued me. It was a documentary called "Fed Up." Fed Up. And it is about the obesity epidemic going on in the United States. I saw it on Amazon Prime. I believe it's on Netflix. This documentary was originally produced in 2014, narrated by Katie Couric. And it focuses on the causes of obesity in the U.S., specifically looking at the massive quantities of sugar that are in all these processed foods, that the government does not look at, that the food pyramid, everything that we have been told by the, FDA, well, by the FDA to a degree, the USDA, the government, medical experts, everything we've been told is a total crock of baloney, processed baloney. Now think about this. Our grandparents, great-grandparents, what was their normal breakfast? normal breakfast consisted probably of eggs, bacon, maybe some sausage. Not processed foods. They didn't start their day with a couple of uh, cups of sugar-laden cereal or sugar-laden muffins or donuts. Good old-fashioned eggs. One ingredient, egg, comes from natural. I mean, just natural comes from a chicken. Bacon comes from a hog. Now, it can be processed, certainly, when cured. But overall, when you look at the ingredients, primarily of bacon or sausage or an egg, I mean, it's one thing. That's it. And yet, somewhere along the line, and many of us over the years never ate breakfast. I was never and never, to this day, never a big breakfast eater. On weekends, I'll go out for brunch. If I'm traveling and, uh, for example, when I attend the Florida Broadcasters Convention at the end of the month at uh, Ritz-Carlton, of course I'm going to be staying on the club level because my Marriott status allows me to get upgraded. And they have a beautiful club lounge, and I'm sure I'll partake in something healthy. But what I will not partake in is cereal or muffins or processed foods or sugars. But for years and years... We were told butter, evil, stay away from butter. Instead, use margarine. Margarine, fabricated, made up in a lab somewhere. We were told margarine is much healthier than butter. What we subsequently found out was margarine was loaded with trans fat. That's what causes the arteries to get clogged. Not necessarily saturated fat in butter. We were told, stay away from meat. No, 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 go towards more pasta, more carbs, better for you. Everything we were told has turned out to be a total crock of garbage. And over the last 30, 40 years, we've seen a huge rise in the number of fat-free, low-calorie foods. Why? Fat's bad for you. The fat in cheese, terrible. The fat in butter, terrible. The fat in cookies, terrible. Well, when you take out the fat, which is a natural product that the cavemen have been consuming, our forefathers going back to when they hunted in the cave and had to actually go out and hunter and gather their meat and their food, going back thousands of years, they ate off the land. Animals. Fruits. Vegetables, they didn't buy a canned food product that had 58 chemicals and man-made ingredients in there. Meat, fish, poultry, vegetables, fruit. That was it. Now, with all these fat-free foods that have been introduced, and again, we were told, got to reduce the fat out of your diet. Fat is evil. Butter evil, go to margarine. Fat-free foods. So we started to see fat-free cheese. And I, like many others, said, oh, okay, well, fat's not good. I'm going to go out and buy fat-free, reduced-fat foods, cheese or or snacks, whatever the case is, even prepared foods. But when you take out the fat and there's no taste, you have to substitute something. And what this documentary showed, which we all have known— When they take out the fat, what did they insert? Sugars, carbs. But we were told all along, stay away from the fat-free foods. And what we found out is that the government was wrong. The lobbying influence by the food industry, big food, big sugar, they influenced the government dictating and telling us what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. Remember that old food pyramid? Oh, we should have plenty of grains and carbohydrates and and stay away from fats. It's all nonsense. And so what happens over the last 30 years? More processed foods, more chemicals in foods, more sugar. The hidden sugars are unbelievable. We all started gaining weight. I gained weight. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I'm drinking Diet Coke. I'm having reduced calorie, re- reduced fat foods. Why am I gaining weight, getting sluggish? And when I went to a clean diet three years ago where I ate, I do eat steak, fish, poultry, chicken, turkey, vegetables, but cut out carbs and cut out sugars, cut out processed foods. I don't buy processed foods in the supermarket. Cut it out three years ago. I used to buy all sorts of processed foods, thinking, hey, it's probably okay for you. I only eat foods that have primarily one or two ingredients. For dinner last night, I made a magnificent 16-ounce prime New York strip steak that I got at Costco. And I will send out a picture of what it did. I made it in the cast iron skillet. What were the ingredients that I used? Some olive oil in the cast iron skillet. And I'm I, I treated my steak prior. I seasoned it with pepper, onion powder, some Himalayan pink salt, not too much. And actually, I found at Costco a an organic salt-free spice concoction with about 25 different spices. It has uh, onion and garlic and and mustard seed, but No sugar, no salt, and I let it sit for about an hour, an hour and a half on each side before and then stuck it in that cast iron skillet about four minutes each side, let it rest for ten minutes. I had Pittsburgh-style medium rare. That was delicious. That was the only ingredients. Olive oil, steak. Didn't have any vegetables last night. Felt great. Got on the scale this morning, down a half a pound. Now, the calories that are in that steak, people would say, dietitians, oh, there's so much fat and there's calories, yet I'm losing weight. Why is that? Why is it when I eat normal whole foods, real food, not the processed chemical-laden garbage, I lose weight? Because that's exactly how our bodies were made to function on normal food. So when we look at all this stuff, all these chemicals all the sugar. We say to ourselves, wait a minute, all these hidden sugars are, are, are incredibly unhealthy. And yet we have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, whose job it is to ensure the safety of the food supply along with the USDA, give us good advice about food, oversee drugs. But I don't see the FDCA, the Food, Drug, and Cigar Administration, So for the last 30 years, and specifically if we look at the last, say, 10 years, the FDA has been interjecting itself, not only in food, but over the last 10 years, into our enjoyment of cigars. Now, what are cigars made of? Natural cigar tobacco. That's it. There are no chemical ingredients. There's no artificial nonsense put in there. The way that cigar tobacco is fermented, the nicotine and ammonia dissipate from the tobacco, as opposed to cigarettes that are flu-cured, whereby the ammonia and the nicotine remains in the tobacco. So the FDA, over the last, really, 10 years, started to interject themselves into our enjoyment of premium cigars. Yet, they've been nowhere to be found as sugars and chemicals are being injected into the food supply. So I watched this documentary, and not only was it eye-opening, but many of the things I already knew, but what I didn't realize, and this is a perfect example, that and I'm sure you can relate to this. When we went to school, we were in grade school or high school, we went to our cafeterias, and the lunch ladies created lunch, from scratch. Yes, they bought canned items and some frozen items, but primarily when they made, for example, spaghetti sauce for our spaghetti, they used tomato sauce, they they cook the beef, they put it all in. And we didn't see all these chemical laden ingredients. Now, when you go to school cafeterias, they don't cook or create anything. It's all purchased. All part of the USDA and the FDA going in and saying, it's much cheaper for you to buy this. This is much better. Buy all these pre-made, chemically-laden foods. So now when you go into a school cafeteria, the lunch ladies don't make anything. All they do is cook it and serve it. They take it out of the box, out of the can. They put it in an oven or in a fryer, and they serve it. What's the biggest item right now that's served in school cafeterias? pizza. There's one company, as I learned from this documentary, based in Minnesota, I think it's called Schwab, if I'm not mistaken, that controls 70-plus percent of the pizza market in school cafeterias. And they've got 10 different brands of pizza. And if you look at their pizza, it's not just dough and sauce. It's loaded with sugar and chemicals and all this other nonsense. And yet... The FDA is worried about us enjoying cigars. They're hounding cigar manufacturers, increasing the amount of regulation. They want to change the packaging of cigars to include giant warning labels. They want everything to be tested, in which some cases there are no testing available. There's not a testing method available to test for what the FDA wants. And yet, I don't see people dropping it like flies because they're enjoying an occasional cigar. We do see people dropping like flies because they're eating all this processed food garbage. Now, if the FDA really wanted to do their job, they'd say, hey, we need to eliminate a lot of this process. The sugar needs to come down and all this processed nonsense and all these chemicals, xanthan gum and all these things you look at. When my grandmother made incredible split pea soup, I remember the way she made it, water, the split peas, Carrots, onions, a little bit of salt, and pepper. And she just let it sit over the course of a day. And it was always better the second or third day. That was it. Go look at the side of a Campbell's soup can of split pea soup. Sugar and the salt and all the chemicals that are in there. Why do they need to stick all this nonsense in there? So what I have discovered from this documentary was the government the one's telling us oh no this is the way you should eat this is what you, this is much better for you we need to reduce the fat we need to we need to get rid of butter margarine is better all these artificial foods and yet this is the same fda saying stay away from cigars meanwhile we enjoy an occasional cigar it relaxes us brings us great camaraderie great pleasure not bothering anybody so i ask you should the FDA spend, uh, be spending all their time or more of their time harassing cigar, premium cigar manufacturers and cigar connoisseurs with more taxes, with more regulation, with more warning labels? Or should they be spending their time with exactly what is mentioned in their agency's name, Food and Drug Administration? Spend more time on food. And now we're seeing that China, I just read this, China is one of the largest manufacturers of the raw ingredients Of generic medications. You trust anything from China? I don't care what the FDA says. They ought to be spending their time on making sure those raw ingredients are made in the US or Canada or other countries except China. And they ought to be concentrating on saying, hey, we want to make people healthier. We got to reduce the sugar and all the other chemicals and all the other junk that we see in food. It's absurd. So when we look at all this nonsense that the that over the last 30 years, the junk that's in food, I ask myself, why is the FDA concerned with cigars? We want to enjoy a cigar. It's a natural cigar, tobacco, that's it. No chemicals, no additives. We don't see people running after they get off an airplane, running to go light a cigar in the smoking area. We don't see people congregated outside of office buildings, in the smoking area, in the rain, and the sleet, and the snow, going to light up a cigar doesn't happen. Why? Because cigars are not addictive. Fact. Most people consume one, two cigars a week. Some just once a month, twice a month. So when I looked at this documentary and saw the nonsense, and in fact, Amy Klobuchar, running for president, who... Prides herself on looking out for people when the Schwab Pizza Company or food company, when under Michelle Obama's plan they wanted to reduce the amount of junk food in the cafeterias, when they wanted to do that, who was the first that was going to get hit? This Schwab Company out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Who's the senator from Minnesota? One of the two senators. Amy Klobuchar, she ends up writing a long letter, and they show this in the documentary, stating that pizza is a vegetable. The tomato sauce in the pizza of all these frozen pizzas should be considered a vegetable. It's wholesome, it's nutritious. But they never tell you that there's all the sugar and salt and all the other garbage that are in there. Go through a supermarket and start reading the ingredients on all this nonsense. And yet the FDA says they want to protect us. They want to protect us from the harmful effects of cigars. Well, I can tell you this. My grandfather's cigar Abe, smoked six, seven cigars a day, lived till 85. George Burns enjoyed cigars, five, six, seven, eight a day, lived till 100. Milton Burrow was well into his 90s. Stanford Newman of J.C. Newman Cigar, Frank Yaneza of Villazon Cigar, they enjoyed multiple cigars every day, and they both lived till 90 or 91. So I ask you, Why is the FDA, it's not the FDCA, Food, Drug Cigar Administration, why are they wasting their time on a product we enjoy that as far as I'm concerned in moderation does not cause harm? Why aren't they spending time on the food industry and culling out the sugars and the chemicals and the garbage man-made ingredients that are loaded in every product that is consumed not only by most Americans, but almost every school kid because of the junk that's being fed in their cafeterias. What's a bigger problem? The cigars we enjoy or the garbage in foods, the salt, the sodium, the sugar, the chemicals in food? FDA, why don't you stick to what you're there for? Food and drug administration. Stay away from cigars. Litation and libation ceremony is next.
0: Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the General enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time
1: for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. The May 2019 Officers Club selection is the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Age Vertical Sampler. An outstanding selection of cigars whereby Nick Perdomo took wrapper Incredible prized six-year-old wrapper leaves, charred and put and, and aged them in charred oak bourbon barrels for six to fourteen months. Spectacular results. Same binder and filler blend, but the wrappers are different. There's a Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Aged Connecticut, a Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-aged Sun Grown, and a Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-aged Maduro that I have just pulled out beautiful cigar. Now, the filler blend is Nicaraguan Condega, Jalapa, Nicaraguan Esteli. Same across all three of the Perdomo Habano bourbon barrel age. But the wrapper is where it is different. A beautiful Nicaraguan Maduro. This cigar, rich with notes of coffee and cocoa. Whereas the Connecticut's a little more creamy, medium bodied, subtle notes of bourbon. And then the sun-grown Much more fuller-bodied, noticeable hints of spice, and you get the woodiness of that bourbon charred oak barrel on there as well. So the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-Aged Maduro, my selection for libation today. today. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. I was jumping the gun because I'm looking at my libation as well. A self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. Max- Maximum BTU flame throwing and heat producing apparatus. Well, this is from the Cigar Dave R&D Labs. This is the MBT mini blowtorch. Very small, got four very compact flames. Square uh, a lineup, but small tank, but very, very compact. Listen to that flame. Can't wait to try it out today.
0: Cigar, Cigar pre lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to
1: go throttle up in three... Two, one. Perfect cut, one shot. Magnificent. The aroma of this Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Age Maduro, fantastic. I will toast the foot of this cigar. Very, very nice. And if you are not a member of the Officers Club, go to cigardave.com. $22.95 per month. You get three of the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club Ziploc pouch and the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Age Vertical Sampler, getting many emails from our members saying they love it, fantastic, and every wrapper, even though the filler and binder are the same, gives it a different flavor complexion. Let me puff and rotate now. Mm. Very nice, great draw, Mm. very nice. They blow on the foot of this cigar, take a few hmm. oh yeah. Definitely getting that cocoa, that almost uh, espresso-type notes on the palate, very nice. And I need a libation that is going to stand up to this cigar, so without any further delay. Scotch, bourbon, and beer.
0: Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers.
1: I'm a big fan of Funky Buddha Brewery. In fact, we had them at the 2018 Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the flight line in the Cigar City of Tampa. And one of the beers that they sampled, their Hop Gun IPA. It is a major, major hoppy beer. In fact, it's 60 on the International Bitterness Unit Scale, IBUs. A lager could be anywhere 12, 15, 18. So when we say 60, this has got some serious hoppiness. Not necessarily bitter, but you get the hoppy taste on the back of the palate. Let me pour a little bit of this Funky Buddha. I had a couple of bottles left, and so I had one earlier this week. Now, I don't drink a whole bottle at a time. What I do is I'll put it in a little uh, Scotch snifter, a Glencairn glass, if you will, and I'll just have a little bit, almost like I'm I'm having a little cognac or just a little bit of uh, port. And let me say cheers. Mm. Oh yeah, major hoppiness. Now, they deliver a huge payload of American hops right to the palate. A lot of citrus and grapefruit from pineapple and a little bit of caramel maltiness. But very, very nice. Again, this is 7% alcohol by volume, the Funky Buddha Brewery Hop Gun IPA India Pale Ale, 60 on the IBU scale. Definitely not for somebody looking for a mild beer. This is definitely something to pair up with a medium plus to a full-bodied, rich Maduro cigar. So beautiful Funky Buddha made down in uh, Fort Lauderdale and Boca Raton. Some of their beer. I'll tell you, I like all their beers. They've got some very, very cool beers. They're... Pineapple Beach, which is their flagship beer, is excellent, and their sweet potato casserole cannot go wrong with it. It is delicious. And I'll tell you, another beer, their Florida Hefeweizen is very, very smooth as well. If you don't want that hop gun, full IPA, hoppiness taste, the Pineapple Beach or their Florida Hefeweizen are very smooth. So, my cigar is lit. My libation is poured as I mm, take a sip, take a puff. Now, Our neighbors to the north in Canada, eh? Known for their poutine, known for their Tim Hortons donuts, eh? Their Harvey hamburgers, eh? You get in the fast lane, eh? To go to to Tim Hortons. And again, you go to Harvey's and you got a nice burger and you wrap it up with some Timbits, eh? You're good to go and some coffee, eh? Our neighbors to the north in Canada are, let's just say, beyond the pale of ultra-ultra-left when it comes to regulating cigars and tobacco. They have been working on a plan for plain packaging and a standardized packaging plan for cigars and cigarettes for the last number of years. They want to amend, wanted to amend Canada's 1997 Tobacco Act. Eh? And now as I talk about this, I'm going to talk like a Canadian with a lot of A's, you know? Hey, eh? okay. Well, they wanted the bill to, they wanted the packaging to emulate what goes on in the United Kingdom, whereby cigarettes are highly regulated in their packaging, but premium cigars are exempted. Well, instead of exempting premium cigars, they went full tilt on absolutely destroying the beauty, the art, the presentation of cigar bands cigar boxes and cigar packaging. They voted in the Canadian Parliament to create a standard nondescript packaging for cigarettes for cigars, all tobacco. And the premium cigar industry is going to absolutely get whacked. The cigar boxes bans all packaging are now going to be standardized. Basically, what we're going to see on the Canadian cigar boxes and bands, a drab, brown, olive green, plain box. In the front, it's just going to have the brand name, how many cigars, and on the back, there's going to be a giant graphic warning label. That's it. I'm looking at what a cigar tube will look like. Drab brown. It'll have the name, address of the manufacturer, an alphanumeric code, and the brand name. So, for example, the cigar that I'm enjoying right now, the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Aged Maduro, they can't have, if they, if they wanted to, the box, their artwork. Nope. Same thing with the band. As I look at this beautiful Perdomo band, it's going to be replaced by a brown band with just some white or off-white lettering text that has the brand name, the country of manufacture, and that's it. No, now one of the things when you enjoy a cigar, you enjoy, you you appreciate the beauty of the band, the artwork, the the box. It, it's it's not just tasting the cigar and smelling the cigar. It's the whole perceptory sensory experience. Visual, the the aroma, the taste, I mean, you look at at a cigar box, and you look at the band, the presentation. There's something very special about that, very artistic. Now, all of a sudden, in Canada, where everything's going to be in a plain brown box and a plain brown band with white text, nothing to differentiate one brand from the other. Now, many of us are visual. Many of us look and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to try that cigar because I just like the band. It looks pretty cool. And in most instances, it's probably a pretty good way to go. Happen to have a great cigar. Now in Canada, you're going to walk into a humidor. All the cigars look the same. The bands all look the same. Brown background, white or off-white text. That's it. The boxes, they're not even going to want to present the cigars in the boxes because they're going to look so terrible. Is that what we want here in the United States? Can we not make our own decisions? Are we not adults? But the FDA... With the zealots that are in the tobacco control division, instead of worrying about, as I said earlier in the show, about food, food safety, all the food that comes from China now that's loaded with garbage and the chemicals and all the sugars and other, other chemicals and other non uh, terrible ingredients that are loaded in processed foods, you think the FDA would be worried about that? Nope. They're worried about our cigars. Screw the FDA. They can't even regulate dog treats coming from China, and they want to regulate our cigars. Screw Mitch Zeller, who really is known as Mitch Zealot, who is an in, just a totally, a total enemy of pleasure and anti cigar zealot. He is part of the FDA deep state bureaucracy. We all thought when the Trump administration took over that we're going to be able to get rid of all this cigar regulation. Not happening. As we have come to learn, these bureaucrats that get entrenched, they're the problem in Washington. Congress can't control them, the executive branch can't control them, and the judicial branch can't control them. They're like giant cockroaches that infest and make their way that can survive a nuclear attack. They cannot be killed or destroyed, unfortunately. You can't stop them, and that is the problem. And I, I hate to say this, but I'm extremely pessimistic that the cigar industry, the premium cigar industry, is going to be able to, to get the relief that it sh- deserves, should have, because as we all know, cigars enjoyed by adults, not by kids. If the FDA wants to regulate things, they ought to look at vaping. That's the problem right now, not premium cigars that are enjoyed in moderation by adults and not used As a nicotine delivery device or a cigarette alternative.
0: The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Cigar Day.
3: Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now cigarrights.org. The Cigar Dave Officers
1: Club has been bringing you fantastic cigars every month for the last 15 plus years. The streak continues. The June 2019 Officers Club selection features the Balmoral Anejo Exo Connecticut, a delicious cigar crowned with a shade grown wrapper from the Connecticut River Valley. The Balmoral Anejo Exo Connecticut. Provides a luxuriously creamy experience, nice notes of vanilla, toasted caramel, a little bit of pepper, a nice, smooth, natural sweetness to the Balmoral and Yeho Connecticut. To become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get great cigars such as the Balmoral and Yeho Connecticut, it's very simple. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95 per month, you will get three exquisite cigars shipped directly to you. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club and experience great cigars such as the Balmoral Añejo Exo Connecticut.
4: How lucky can one guy be I kissed her
5: and she kissed me, like the fella once said, ain't that a kick in the head?
1: The great Dean Martin, next Friday, June 7th, his birthday, he would have been 102 years. But he is forever young in all of our minds, forever cool, just forever smooth. The great Dean Martin, part of the Rat Pack. Happy birthday, Dean Those guys knew how to live. We should all take cues from them. They were, had great sense of humor, enjoyed life, enjoyed their libations, enjoyed their dames. Life was good around the Rat Pack. Now in January, we exposed Gillette going after their very consumers, their very own consumers that have been purchasing their shaving products for years and years. They came out with a, a a TV ad and Facebook and social media ad exposing toxic masculinity with the slogan, the best men can be, that we aren't the best we can be because we, we ogle over women. And as kids, we push and shove and wrestle. And they portrayed every single one of their consumers to be a toxic male. And I went after... Gillette and I have been boycotting Gillette ever since. Proud to say that I absolutely love the Schick Hydro 5 shaving uh, uh, system that I use now. Their blades are fantastic, better price. Sergeant Steve happened to be perusing Sam's Club's website, and he says, hey, they've got a a, a chic, uh 5, hydro, hydro 5, with 14 blades and the handle, and it was like, two and a half, less than, I think it was like 210 per blade. And you also got the handle. Absolutely get a much better, much smoother shave, much more comfortable shave. I've also dumped Gillette shaving cream. Shick has my business. Gillette has done it once again, trying to screw over and call out their very own consumers. They think that by going uh, going after the people, who have made Gillette the successful company they are, that they're going to actually gain more business by going after a new generation of men. And in their latest campaign, it features a transgendered person by the name of Samson Bancabantu Brown, a trans rights activist who is shown in the commercial with his father and his father is tutoring Samson on how to shave. Now, I never had to have my father tutor me. You just kind of pick it up. You look, you observe. That's, I guess, what following an alpha male is all about. You watch. Nobody, my father never said, let me tell you how to shave. I just saw how he did it. Not that complicated, okay? It's not like rocket science. Well, now, in this latest ad, they're trying to appeal to transgenders. It seems they don't want their normal customer they're done with us. They're done with a normal heterosexual male, even a gay male. They're now going after a different consumer. They think that by exposing men as all men, as their consumers as toxic, uh, as toxic males, that by embracing transgenders, I don't give a damn what gender you are. I don't care what your sexual preference is. You're selling a damn razor. People want a smooth shave, period. A comfortable shave, a cost-effective shave. But I am baffled, these, these brand managers and their marketing people must be, the only explanation is they went to Harvard because they think they're so much smarter than everyone else and they must have read in a book that this is how you get customers by pissing off your existing customers. Makes no sense to me. Let's take a listen to this commercial.
2: Growing up I was always trying to figure out what kind of man I wanted to become and I'm still trying to figure out what kind of man that I want to become. I always knew I was different. I didn't know that there was a term for the type of person that I was. I went into my transition just wanting to be happy. I'm glad I'm at the point where I'm able to shave. South, south, north, north, east, west, never in a hurry. Right. Now don't be scared, don't be scared. Shaving is about being confident. Oh, you're doing fine. You are doing fine. I'm at the point in my manhood where I'm actually happy. It's not just myself transitioning, it's everybody around me transitioning.
1: No, I'm not transitioning. Sorry. I'm a proud alpha heterosexual male. If You want to be a transgender male? Mazel tov. Congratulations. Do what you want. And at the end of the Gillette ad, it says, whenever, wherever, however it happens, your first shave is special. What is it, like your first lay when you lose your virginity? And, and and the kid, east, east, west, west, north, north, south, south. I've never shaved by saying east, east, west, west. And then the father's saying, you're doing great. You're doing fine. I, 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 it baffles me. Did any of your fathers sit there and say, great, east, east, west, you're doing fine. Good. Stay with it. You're doing fine. Uh, it, it's shaving. It's not, you know, performing neurosurgery or anything. And now their tagline, the best a man can get. Well, the worst Gillette can get is by trying to shame and screw over their existing consumers. And I am, just like Samson, he's a transitioned male, whatever that means. I am now a transitioned former Gillette consumer because I have transitioned from Gillette to Schick, and I urge all of you to do the exact same thing. Dennis Muhlenberg, the CEO of Boeing, the maker of the 737 crap, was on with uh, Nora O'Donnell of CBS Evening News. Take a listen to what he had to say. Now, all of a sudden,
6: he's very, very sorry. I do personally apologize to the families. I can tell you it affects me directly as a leader of this company. It's very difficult. How so? You know, we, we can't change what happened in these accidents, but we can be absolutely resolute and what we're going to do on safety?
5: You'd put your family on a 737 Max?
6: Without any hesitation, absolutely. I've uh, I've been up on two of the flight tests uh, myself with the new software, and I would in a heartbeat uh, put my family on that.
1: I would never go on a 737 Max. It is an inherently unstable aircraft. It is a garbage aircraft, and that's why they had to come up with this a uh, maneuvering characteristics augmentation system, MCAS, to basically try to, computer uh, by computer controls, make it stable. It's a bad aircraft. I urge everybody to boycott it. There will be a backlash against Boeing and the 737 MAX. Shame on Muhlenberg. Now he wakes up after two crashes, after hiding the fact that they knew there were issues with the MCAS. Screw him. He ought to be in jail behind bars and criminally charged along with numerous engineers, executives, and members of the board of directors of Boeing. Next hour. We are going to play for you the segment we recorded three days ago at Davidoff of Geneva Store and Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa. We've got Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner, Brennan Hollinger, three of the 22 men from Horse Soldier Distilling that will be recreating the D-Day Eve Jump in Normandy next Wednesday. Hour 2 of the Cigar Dave Show is next.
0: This this is AME. Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A.
1: Well, as I mentioned the entire first hour, we have some very special guests that are joining us. As part of our D-Day commemoration, the 75th anniversary of D-Day, the invasion of Normandy by the Allied Forces, we are spending time commemorating that momentous day that changed world history in perpetuity. And it leads up to our big D-Day 75th celebratory, or I should say, observation show next Saturday. A week from today that we're actually going to be recording on Thursday, June 6th from the American Victory ship in the port of Tampa that served in World War II and other conflicts. And we've got three fantastic guests that are about to jump out of plane next week. And we welcome you back. We are conducting, I should tell you, today's, this hour of the Cigar Dave Show. It is, we're recording it on Wednesday, May 29th. And the reason that we are doing it is because our three guests this hour will be leaving in two days for Normandy. They will be heading off to France for a very important mission. And let me welcome our three guests. First up, we have got Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer Green Beret, who joined us last week for our Memorial Day show from the Bad Monkey. Lieutenant Colonel Rob, great to have you back. Thanks, it's great to be back. And to our to my left, we've got Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner. Greetings, Tyler. How are you doing? Doing well. And to the right, we've got the young lad, the young buck of the crew. We've got Brennan Hollinger, who is the son of Mark Nuch, Captain Mark Nuch, retired as a major. And the one thing they all have in common is that they are all owners of Horse Soldier Distillery. So, Tyler, Staff Sergeant Tyler, welcome to the Cigar Dave Show.
5: Thanks. Just, uh, just Oops, oh, did, I'm out now. Whoops, so.
1: <laughs> whoops. Sorry about that. Brennan. I'm sorry, Brennan. <laughs> it's wrong, a pleasure to meet you, Dave. Wrong one. Okay, Brennan. Fantastic. All right. So, a very big, momentous day coming up for all of you on June 5th. The day before D-Day, Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, you are outfitted in a parachute jumping outfit. And there's a very important reason. Tell us about this incredible mission that all of you are about to undertake.
6: So, Dave, we've been uh, really honored to have the opportunity to essentially lead off all of the festivities for D-Day because we'll be representing the, uh, the OSS and the Jedberg teams that actually went in before D-Day to prep the ground and to conduct special operations missions behind the lines. So to commemorate that, I am wearing a, uh, a World War II uniform, like we all will be having, and the wings up here are OSS Jedberg wings. Not all the OSS wore these, it was only to the Jedberg teams, of which there were 93 that went in ahead of time. And the Jedbergs were a combination of uh, British, American, and French special operations teams that went behind the lines and essentially prepared the day for D-Day and then continued to do operations for a long time.
1: Now, the OSS, I should say, is the forerunner of the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency.
6: And the Green Berets.
1: Oh, and the Green Berets, too. I did not know that.
6: Right. So most people don't realize that the OSS kind of split, and the military version, the military side, became... Army Special Forces, the Green Berets, and then the side that became all intelligence became the Central Intelligence Agency. But that's why, because there's still some crossover, you will always see that oftentimes when Green Beret teams go in, we'll have somebody from the CIA that will accompany us, because there's still a lot of of things where we have mutually, things that we mutually help each
1: other. So Rob, tell us how this Mission of jumping to recreate the day before D-Day, the beaches of Normandy. How this all came about?
6: So I know that they've been doing the anniversary of D-Day for many years, but of course with the 75th coming up, uh, and I think it was Brennan's dad, Mark, uh, was approached where he went to the. There's a group here in Florida, in Palatka, Florida, called the Round Parachute Canopy Round Round Canopy Parachute Club. And they do these reenactments all the time. And so Mark approached them and said, you know, we would love to go and be part of this. And they opened up their arms and helped us out and made sure that everybody was squared away. And they've been taking care of a lot of logistics as well, too, so that really we've just been able to come and enjoy their hospitality, and, and they've made it really easy for us.
1: When was the last time you all jumped?
6: Three weeks ago. Oh, okay. So all current. (laughs) Yeah, three months. ago. A little practice beforehand. (laughs) Right. And before that, what
1: was the last time you jumped, Rob?
6: Um, For me, it had been about five years. It was right before I got off of active duty. But you know, I was a as a Green Beret officer, I was pretty much jumping my whole career. So, and as a jump master as well. So it didn't take very long for us to get requalified. Same with Tyler. Actually, you were already. Yeah, I Qualified, jumped, so. jumped
5: about a year ago. Uh, buddy hit me up and said, "Hey, man, I need an extra for this. We're gonna jump out of a plane, try and hit an X for a competition." I said, uh, "Yeah, that's exactly what I want to do: jump out of a perfectly good airplane again." So that's right. I'm a pilot, <laughs> so I, I prefer to
1: stay in the airplane myself. Yeah. Uh, what was it like for all of you the first time you jumped? Let's start off with. Uh, we'll go from left to right. Staff yeah. Sergeant Tyler.
5: Well, uh, airborne school. I mean, uh, you got to do five jumps uh, minimal, and then you know you go and do your next your cherry jump when you get to an actual unit. But, um, I mean, it was back in, oh, something. (laughs) It's been a while ago. Oh six, I think it was. Yeah.
1: And what was it like the first time you jumped out of an airplane? A little Um, little nervous?
5: Yeah, yeah. You uh, definitely amped up, ready to get out of the plane.
1: What's the feeling as soon as you go out that plane? To me, it looks like, you know, you're obviously dropping. I mean, you're going against gravity, just plunging. What's that feeling like?
5: Well, uh, always make the joke, you know. Every every jumps a night jump, a lot of people close their eyes, jumping out of a plane. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, you're supposed to keep your eyes on the horizon. So, like, keep your eyes open, look straight out, and just jump towards you. Jump as hard as you can.
1: What's the sensation like? When I mean, how many feet per minute are you dropping? Oh, uh, it was like 13
6: yeah we don't get you don't get to terminal velocity unless you're doing um unless you're jumping a ram air and you're doing essentially a halo jump or what people call sport parachuting so yeah. with a round care canopy the idea is you don't have to think about pulling that ripcord it's it's your you have a big long line attached to the back of you and as you go out that's anchored to the inside of the aircraft on a cable so you only go about i don't know Thirty-five feet or so before that line starts to pull on the parachute, and it will deploy it for you. So that's the difference between the round canopies that we use for the most part in the military. How yeah. many
1: feet normally are you jumping, military-wise? Fifteen hundred is standard. Fifteen hundred, yes, yeah. So you got you got to get that shoot out pretty quick.
6: Yeah. Well, unless you're doing a combat jump, like the Rangers who went into Panama jumped at about five hundred feet, which wow. means. And the reason for that is, well, you have feet, people on the ground shooting at you, and the longer you spend in the air, the longer you become a target. So, at 500 feet, when you're doing something like that, you you don't even have time to pull your reserve if your main doesn't deploy. So, it's you jump out, you count 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, and then you're landing right away. So,
1: all right, and uh, let me ask uh, Brennan uh, first of all, Brennan, tell us about your background, where you're from, and and uh, how you followed your dad.
7: Yeah, so I'm originally from Kansas. Um, my dad was the captain of the horse soldier unit um, that is portrayed by the movie 12 Strong. Right. Um, being The whole horse soldier deal was, I was born in Kansas, obviously, and my dad was part of the roping team at Kansas State University. Um, so that's kind of how where my background is and where I came from. But I'm originally, I'm an engineering major right now, majoring in civil engineering. Um, but I moved down here to help these guys out. Um, these guys are all family to me. I've known them for a long time. Um, but yeah, and that's kind of how I got into the distillery. And my dad's like, "Hey, we're doing this jump into Normandy here in the next few months. Are you, you want? Is that something you want to be a part of?" I'm like, "Yes, I've never jumped out of an airplane before." or um, we, you've
1: you've. You have though before this jump though, correct? Yes, sir. How many times? Five to get five. my wings. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So five times. And what was the first time when you? We got to bring a cherry bring a helmet.
5: helmet. <laughs> <Yep>. cherry, <laughs> jump. <laughs> cherry jump. Cherry <laughs> jump. Helmet. That's exactly. not a bad cherry jump. <laughs> there you go.
7: So what was it like the first time? Little little nervous looking out that plane. Um. So yeah, the first plane I jumped out was a Kodiak. Um. And you don't stand do a standing jump out of it. You sit down and look out the aircraft while you're jumping. So that was a little nerve wracking because you're just lodging yourself out. You're not jumping out. Right. Um, So that was a little scary, but after I got the first one done, uh, I hit the ground. I was like, yeah, thanks. From 1,500 feet as well? 1,500 feet, yes, sir. Um, But one of the coolest ones, one of my five jumps, I got to jump out of an actual C-47, which was the Tico Bell, which was one of the first aircrafts that flew into Normandy. So that was pretty cool, being in that plane that the same guy, same soldiers that went in on that day. It's the same static line. They used the same one that was in the aircraft. So that was a pretty cool experience.
1: When you think of the thousands of Allied troops that were jumping, at the time, waves and waves. It's just incredible. You, you see video, or now you see film that has been transferred to video, and it, it just literally just dotted. It almost looks like rain just pouring down. That's really got to be uh, not only the jump, but everybody else around you. It's got to be uh, kind of an overwhelming experience.
6: It, it is, and luckily, we don't do that too much. Right. <laughs> the 82nd no. still does that. Um, That's just really dangerous when you're jumping. You call it when you're jumping out of the door like that, and you're going so quickly. There's so many opportunities then to have really bad accidents. You can have mid-air entanglements. uh, You can, uh, you know, get caught up. Actually, hit the aircraft if you don't have a bad exit. So um, that was that was very dangerous back then because uh, none of those parachutes you, you could maneuver at all, except uh, maybe change your body position right before you were going to hit. You called it, uh, you would slip instead of steering it. And, uh, yeah, with that many people in the air and people shooting at you, that was uh, not my, would not be my idea of fun.
1: Well, everything that happened on June 5 and June 6, 1944, when you think about it, everything was dangerous those two days, and subsequently the push into uh, Germany uh, throughout the subsequent months. So, clearly, nothing had ever been undertaken of that magnitude. And when you look back today and think, really, it was, y- you had no, there was only one possible outcome we had to win. There was no alternative. There was no, ah, here's our fallback plan. It was, we're, we're winning, we're capturing it. And when you think of how fortified the the Atlantic Wall was by the Nazis, Uh, again, our our troops being shot at, uh, being mortared, just as they stormed those beaches uh, and jumped the night before. And then those gliders that they all, that they came in on, just really incredible to this day, 75 years later, I watched the, the documentaries and I'm still in awe and amazement of what took place. Yeah, and I think
6: Brennan, what your great grandfather was actually a glider pilot, and it's important really? to remember about those gliders, right? Is that was a one way trip for those dudes. one way, yeah. right? So, That's uh, it.
1: I mean, they landed, and some landed, you know, in trees, and some landed where they didn't intend to, but uh, it did the trick. But really, just when you think about it, and the diversion where they they had patents, uh, a fictitious patent army uh just everything that took place and when you look at the weather the weather still wasn't great it was people think oh well that was there was an opening it wasn't a great opening it was one of those deals where you weren't going to get perfect weather you took what you got and to this day when i've spoken to people that actually uh, a number of years ago that actually uh, served in the armed forces and stormed the beaches or jumped really their stories are incredible and a lot of them don't really make a big deal out of it but it was a big deal
6: you know Dave that's kind of weird because uh, you know when we were growing up and we would hear stories about our grandparents you know in the wars and they never really said a whole lot and and it seemed kind of weird at the time to be like well why don't you want to talk about this but you know after we've done this ourselves it's like okay the only people we really want to talk to this about maybe every once in a while is somebody that we serve with it's just not stuff that you've tell your kids, it's not like you want to lead your conversations with things like that. I mean, we just feel like we all did what we had to do, and we were given an opportunity to serve. So
1: We're talking with Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner, Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, and Brennan Hollinger, the civilian of the group. Uh, They are all going to be jumping on June 5th next week to recreate uh, Going Behind Enemy Lines the night before D-Day. And, Rob, let me ask you, Where, when this all came about, um, and I know Scotty Neal, who's also one of your partners, who's been on the show many, many times, tell us how, again, you, you came up with this concept. And Because you can't just say, hey, we want to do this, and then we're going over to France. There's a lot of planning. you got to talk with, I'm sure, the French authorities, the government, the military. Tell us how this whole process went and when it started, and give us a timeline, if you will.
6: So one of the things that we like to do with the distillery is that um, every year we try and do kind of like one big adventure with as a, as a kind of like a big team building exercise. So two years ago when uh, you were still allowed to go to Cuba, we were part of the re-inauguration of the St. Petersburg to Havana boat race. And we put a big wrecker of, flag uh, or or mainsail on the the boat and we raced to Cuba. Then last year we went to Mexico. And so we were looking for an even bigger adventure to go on this year and it was what could be bigger than D-Day and the 75th anniversary. And and quite frankly, I mean, this got started because, um, you know, with Mark and Bob being the horse soldiers and all the things that came about with that movie, You know, people who wouldn't normally talk to guys like us are talking to guys like us, and so the idea... Why do
1: do you say that? Why wouldn't people talk to guys like you?
6: Well, it's not like we go around for the most part and say, hey, you know, I'm a Green Beret, or hey, I'm in the history books, or hey, whatever. You know, Mark's, or Brennan's dad, Mark, I mean, I've known him for 20 years, and he's perhaps the least talkative man I've ever met in my life. There's no way that you would know that Mark had ever been in anything like that because it's just not something that you talk about. So so in a case like that though, when, when when you're doing something where Mark was like promoting with the movie or whatever and Bob was there and just uh, the opportunity arose for us to say, hey, we, we think we're gonna have uh, a chance to do this. And so, and Brennan, you were around for a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. So. So you can talk about kind of how how that went because you were with your dad a lot of that time.
7: Yeah. So before the movie came out, um, my dad they didn't even know that the movie was being like pr- like in production. They had no idea. Like the movie was done before my dad was even talked to about it. Wasn't
1: there a book? Yeah, that was done
7: on them. So there's a few. Um, the Horse Soldier book was about their side. Um, so about on the in the movie and in the book, his name is Mitch Nelson because they weren't allowed to use the his name at the time because okay. it was classified. Right. Um, but and there's another side to that story, which is General Dosum's side, which was the warlord who fought with my dad during that time. And that book is called The Last Warlord. And that is honestly one of my favorite reads from the story because it's getting the Afghan pers- perspective of everything. So, But, yeah, anyway, all this has to do, as soon as the, like, they pr- they came to my dad when the production started um, finally and saying, hey, we're actually doing this. Um, and then Chris Hemsworth reached out to my dad and he's like, hey, I'm actually kind of portraying you because um, he got my dad's name in the mix. Um, and my dad's like, okay, well, from this, um, I can actually start talking about my story now because dad—I well, had no idea that entire time that dad was in Afghanistan and what he did. We had no idea until this whole thing got actually out there for everyone to see. So,
1: well, it's interesting because I had uh, your dad, Mark Newtch, and I had Scotty Neal last year speaking at the Florida Association of Broadcasters annual convention that was at the Vanoy in St. Petersburg, and uh, on the second night of the convention. Uh, I was talking to our CEO, Pat Roberts, and I said, Pat, I've got two gentlemen that absolutely must speak, that, I, that are a great story. they in the military, told them the horse soldier story. They've come back as American entrepreneurs. It's a great, fascinating story. And initially, they said, okay, great. Well, we'll, we'll do like maybe 10 minutes. And I said, you don't understand. There's no 10 minutes. They get the entire program. That's how it's got to be. And we went back and forth, and finally I sent him some materials and had him listen to one of the shows that we had with Scotty. He called me back, and he said, okay, that's it. They're, they're the lead. They're it. There is 100% devoted to them. They spoke for about 35, 40 minutes, and I can tell you that the entire room was totally silent, gave him a standing ovation. I introduced them, gave them a standing ovation when it was over, and people came up to me after saying, best speakers we've ever had just fascinating and and not only do they love everybody love the bourbon but they also love being able to interact with mark and scotty and really found it fascinating Uh, because these are stories that you don't hear and a lot of the stories what you're recreating as well you hit it right on the head uh, uh rob that many of the veterans came back didn't really discuss it they said yeah i was in world war ii and they never really discussed it. Then, subsequently, many many years later, they started to discuss it. What all three of you are doing, and how many people total are going to be jumping on the fifth?
6: Um, there's going to be a couple of sticks. I think on that first aircraft, I think it's 22. Is is the first the 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 first guys out? So we'll be probably the one of the first ten probably coming out of that aircraft. But that very first stick will be 22.
1: Okay, so going back on the timeline. You guys like adventure. Apparently, you've never heard of golf or tennis. So you decide you want some, some adventure. And this, is, you can't, this isn't something you can call Abercrombie and Ken and say, you know, I'm looking for some sort of great adventure. I'd like to recreate jumping behind enemy lines at World War II. When did this, it started, you said, I think two years ago. But give us the timeline, who you had to talk to, the approvals, the training, how it all came about.
6: So some of it was just because, so Mark was still working for SOCOM at the time, and because SOCOM, Special Operations Command, was involved in this as well too, because you they wanted to get, they wanted to get special operators that were actually recreating the OSS and the Jedberg teams. So, you know, Mark had heard about this, and it was like, you know, this is something that we should do. And then from there, he started doing more research Um, Found out about the Round Canopy Parachute Club that has done this in the past and went and talked to them. And in terms of coordination, I mean, it's been crazy because we're having to, just trying to get the hotel, a hotel that will hold, you know, 22 of us.
1: Very difficult.
6: Right. Over there now, um, I know uh, (laughs) Brennan's, Mark was telling me the other day that uh, Brennan's mom was like two and a half hours on the phone just trying to rent a car yeah. be, or on the internet because everything is taken up. You really can't get uh, anything on that peninsula at all. It, it, all of the, uh, all the hotels and everything, are just it's all taken up. So part of it was, was getting in touch with people that could find ways to get us in there, um, kind of like little side deals at the last minute, which is how we got uh, the hotel that we did. And uh, I think that's, that has, like, 22 rooms, right? It's just literally going to be us in the whole How far are you from place, where
1: so. you're going to be jumping in Normandy?
6: Um, we're, well, we're about an hour away from where we're going to be jumping, but the headquarters of uh, all of the jumpers is only going to be about
1: a mile away. So, Gotcha. All right, we'll continue our conversation with three great patriotic Americans. We've got Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner, Brennan Hollinger. They will be jumping, recreating the... D-Day Eve jumping behind enemy lines that the OSS uh, conducted on June 5, 1944. We'll continue with them around the corner.
0: Get the latest cigars, hand-picked by the General, each month, delivered straight to your door when you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club. For just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. America's best 100 men will test today But
1: only three When the Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, Green Beret, Green Beret is at attention. And he's got the silver wings. We've also got Staff Sergeant Branded Tyler Garner Lut- uh, and Brennan Hollinger. They will be part of the jumping play. team, 22 jumpers. Recreating the OSS jump behind enemy lines on June 5th, 1944, D-Day, the night before D-Day, D-Day Eve. And, Rob, uh, first of all, you've got the silver wings. You're wearing right now the jumps. Is that what you're going to be wearing going in?
6: Right. These are the the World War II uniforms, so they're reproductions, but they're very close reproductions. So if you look at all the old pictures, you'll see they're pretty much doing these. The American flag here, which you see now on almost, well, everybody who wears this now if you're from the U.S., but at the time that was actually very rare, because, and it was only given to airborne troops um, that day because they knew that there was going to be so much confusion around that, that you didn't want to be mistaken for the enemy and you wanted to make sure that everybody knew where you were from. And so. one
1: of the interesting things, they used these clickers as well, so you could identify... Uh, friendly friendly forces, because you didn't know once you got behind, they were scattered, and they used the clickers, which is very facet. Again, talk about something low-tech. People knew the guys were hiding, and they saw somebody else. They used the clicker. They knew they were safe. Uh, so, Rob, I want to pick up talking about how this mission came about. Um, so you all decide you want to do this. You finally get the hotel, but give us, again, how – because this costs money to do, obviously – how you were able to get the plane, your, the, the government approval, because this is a big celebration. All the leaders, uh, you got the president of France, Canada, Britain, President Trump will be there. This is a very big deal, and sadly, this could be the last major D-Day celebration where we have World War Two veterans present.
6: Right. So the biggest thing, as you mentioned, was uh, was money, and so we to. to 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 rent the Tico Bell and to get these uniforms and to get everybody over there and all of that stuff is is a pretty expensive venture. So, uh, pretty much right from the beginning, we started. I want to say probably about a year ago or or at least eight months ago, going around and trying to find if there are any of these groups that might want to help be sponsors. And so we were lucky enough that Cisco, uh, the, food, the food distributor, right they donated $200,000 to the cause. And that's not just for us, but it's for all of the jumpers that are going in. But just being able to secure the aircraft <clears throat> and having the money to do that is, is uh, kind of a big deal. So I'm sure you've seen the pictures lately of all of the, uh, the big armada of planes that are going across right now. Right. You know, all of those planes, a lot of them are original from, you know, that era. And trying to get all of them over there, you know, each. That's a lot of fuel. That's you've got to pay for your time on, or just being able to be on the airfield and the storage there, and the tents that are going to go up for all the rest of the jumpers and things like that. Because there's going to be a lot of jumpers. I mean, that whole those fields are going to be covered with large tents and people will be out there living them for a long time.
1: So, you're going to be jumping out of a C-47, which is the military version of the DC-3. Right. So uh, you, you worked for the last couple of years on this. How was dealing with the French government and all the authorities that are putting, that are staging the festivities to commemorate the 75th anniversary of D-Day?
6: So luckily for us, the uh, again the round parish, the round canopy parachute club, which is in Palatka, uh, Florida, they they do this on a regular basis. So they do the recreations. They wear these uniforms and they go to D-Day pretty much every year. So. They already had the inside track on this event, and they knew the people that we needed to talk to, and they walked with us pretty much every step of the way. I mean, we literally couldn't have done it without them, and, and uh, that group is uh, also run by a uh, retired lieutenant colonel who used to be um, one of the instructors at uh, Fort Benning at the Jump School. so. He's the one who made sure that everyone has gotten their recertifications and everybody is safe to jump and made sure that we had pretty much everything. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel retired uh, Bill Markham.
1: How long are you going to be over there?
6: Uh, Most of us will be over there uh, between the 31st and returning on the 11th. Some of us are coming in a a day or two later. Some of us are leaving a day or two earlier. But uh, the majority of the group will be there for about a week and a half.
1: Is that the first time you visited Normandy?
6: No, I was stationed in Europe during active duty, so I had an opportunity to go to Normandy a couple of times. And especially as part of your professional career, uh, especially as an officer, we would do what's called uh, uh, staff rides. And what they would do is they would take groups of officers to places where major battles were fought and you would walk the ground, they would go through how the battle was actually fought, and the idea being that we're gonna get an education from seeing how things were done and understanding the terrain, and, and we'd be able to apply that towards future combat operations.
1: Quite the solemn place, when you look not only at Normandy and the beaches, but also the cemetery uh, cemeteries that are you know scattered throughout, which is sovereign American territory. That was handed over by the French uh, to the United States of America. Uh, And my mother and father visited there, oh, I want to say about 10 years ago or so. And uh, what they were struck by, you see the rows and rows of tombstones, headstones, and just totally quiet. And I believe they play the national anthem uh, several times a day or maybe it's on the hour. But they said just incredibly solemn. And my mother, when she was looking at the cliffs, was just so overwhelmed. They have stairs to go down. She just went down and found a plastic bag. I talked about this last week, and I'm going to have Cigar Mother Pierre on the D-Day 75th anniversary show next week talking about her experience. She grabbed sand and brought it back, gave some to my sister, some to me. She kept some uh, at her home, and she said it's just very solemn. And the day that she was there, gray skies, little drizzle, and she said "I I could literally almost picture the sounds and the sights of just the thousands and thousands of Allied forces storming the beach. She said, I don't know how they did it. She says, I do not know how they did it. As you look up at those giant cliffs and go to Point de Hoc, how did our Rangers, how did our troops do it? But they did. And, uh, again, forever change history. Uh, Tyler, when, when these gentlemen came to you and came up with the, this idea, what was your first thought? All in. All in, ready to go. Yeah. Tell us about Where did you serve?
5: Uh, so I, I started out... Um, Went in as a field artilleryman, uh, went up Fort Benning 5 06, went over to Iraq, saw some special forces guys on, right before we came back, working, and uh, they came up after we got hit by an IED, and it was just fluid, guy jumped out in shorts, t-shirt, uh, beard, and um, might as well head on flip-flops and a light coat of oil, because that's all, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> it was so astonishing to see this guy hop out of this vehicle, I was like, who are these guys? And uh, just two trucks, you know, came up, everything was professional, fluid, and I said, that's what I want to go do. So I did, and uh, wound up at First Special Forces Group. Um, so you got to learn a language in your job. I had Mandarin and uh, telecommunications. So I went there, uh, did Philippines because we had a Pacific Command. So while Rob learned Russian, um, they had you a know, majority over you know, European and stuff like that. And then it wound up over in Afghanistan because everybody's got a piece of the pie, if you will. And uh, decided to get out and do something different for a while. So here I am.
1: <laughs> and where are you from originally?
5: Metropolis, Illinois. Which is near where? Uh, Southern Illinois, right on the southernmost tip.
1: Southern Illinois, yep. fantastic. I believe, uh, I'm trying to think, wasn't uh, Dino Babers, I think the coach of Syracuse, I think he was, was head coach at Southern Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. Is that the Oh, S-I-U? Yeah, just north. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Outstanding. Uh, and uh, so now you make your home down here in the Tampa Bay area.
5: That's, that's it. But
6: Tyler's a Kentucky boy. So that's the other thing. So, uh, <laughs> I was born you know, in Kentucky, yeah. when we talk about the guys from the distillery being Kentucky boys, you know, uh, we, we, Tyler's one of those guys that uh, grew up most of his life there as well, too. And Tyler's a great patriot because Tyler's one of those guys when the towers fell, enlisted pretty much right away to go in and serve his country.
1: So. How old were you at the time?
6: Uh, I was
5: 19 when I went in.
1: 19. Gotcha. Yeah. So as soon as you saw that, that, that was your motivation to go in.
5: Yeah, I was uh, trying to figure out you know a way forward in life, and um, it was my grandfather had served, and it just made sense. You know, it was it we. You see something like that, you kind of shook as a child. You know, in high school watching that happen. I remember every you know driving in senior year, and you know towers going down. These guys were already over in country while I was you know, hadn't even graduated yet.
1: You know, we always talk about the greatest generation, the World War II generation, but there have been subsequent great generations, uh, each successive generation that come in and serve, and, and uh, you are all a perfect example of that. And then transition to the American dream, entrepreneurship, yeah. owning a business. And uh, Horse Soldier Bourbon has been going like gangbusters and doing very well, and I can only assume that you will be bringing over Horse Soldier to celebrate your successful jump afterwards. And some cigars.
6: By God, we will. So we're actually going to jump in some horse soldier bourbon. So we originally you're were jumping going to, it in. We're yeah. jumping it in. So I like originally, that. very authentic. <laughs> I like that. Well, you no know, FedEx. You're you gotta, jumping it in. You know, uh, you know it, it's going to be kind of a Hollywood jump, but you know, you're not going to do a, you're not going to do a proper recreation unless you're bringing in a rucksack with you. So those of us who have got some experience doing this will be jumping. Um, either Haversacks or Rucks, and we'll be carrying in bottles of Horse Soldier bourbon. Now, the original plan is we were going to jump the barrel, which was going to be awesome, but the French were like... With its own
1: parachute. I love it. We did, and we have a picture
6: of that where we were doing that for rehearsal, but the French heard about that, and they were like, no, no, you cannot do that because the French don't want us to bring in alcohol. I think we could probably, just the whole jumping in the barrel and, and too many people in the air, and they, just, they, they nixed that, so we're going to jump in bottles instead... And because it's the Cigar Dave show, we wanna talk about the fact that the JC Newman company was nice enough to make some special cigars for us and the 75th anniversary. So it's branded with uh, our horse soldier and a uh, special kind of badge to commemorate the 75th anniversary of d-day so we'll be able to hand that out and on the drop zone we'll be drinking bourbon and smoking cigars
1: Very nice and you will send us of course pictures to sergeant Steve and will you, do you have social media a website that people can follow along
6: yeah we're all over so we've we've got uh, you know on uh, Facebook it's uh, horse or it's uh, dot distillery.com and we're on. Brennan knows this better.
7: <laughs> yeah, so we're on Instagram as well, just at American Now Freedom, silly.
1: That's where you're going to post all the pictures of your mission? Right. Yeah,
7: we also have a GoPro that we're a lot of. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you're that. all going to wear GoPros on the helmet? Yes, sir. I yeah. like it.
1: Yeah. And Fantastic. We've- we got to get the footage, so, Sergeant Steve, we can upload that to cigardave.com and social media. We definitely we will get in. Who's, are you in charge of that? Um, kind
7: of. Uh, Scott, my dad, we're all kind of running the whole media. All right, well, well, we'll
1: make sure we get all that because we want to post that. Uh, especially in time for our, our D-Day show on June 8th. Now, if the French would have told me, uh, sorry, you can't bring in the, uh, the, the barrel, my reply to them would have been, you bastards would be speaking Deutsch <laughs> right now if it weren't for the Americans. Because let's face it, as fighters, you guys were weak. Okay, Their, their, their national flag when they fight is the white surrender flag. In fact, I don't know if you know this, the French tanks, they go in one one direction, reverse and retreat. That's it. (laughs) I would have said, we're bringing it in, so shut your gaps. to quote the great hockey coach John Tortorella. We're running this show here just like we had to do in World War II and save your asses.
6: Well, as we mentioned, we found a way around that, so (laughs) I'm not sure if we actually told them we'll be Ah, bringing in bourbon. And we actually, uh, you're the first to hear about it, Dave, there may be a surprise (laughs)
1: All right, fantastic. Well, you know what I say is just go ahead and do it and ask for forgiveness. Better to to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. So that is the way to go. All right, when we wrap it up on the final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Day Show with Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner, and Brennan Hollinger, who will be recreating the OSS jump into Normandy behind enemy lines that occurred back on June 5, 1944. We will finish up our conversation with them and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, what they expect and some of the other logistics that went into it as we conclude right around the corner.
4: Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth
1: The Cigar Dave Officers Club has been bringing you fantastic cigars every month for the last 15 plus years. The streak continues. The June 2019 Officers Club selection features the Balmoral Anejo Exo Connecticut, a delicious cigar crowned with a shade grown wrapper from the Connecticut River Valley. The Balmoral Anejo Exo Connecticut Provides a luxuriously creamy experience, nice notes of vanilla, toasted caramel, a little bit of pepper, a nice, smooth, natural sweetness to the Balmoral and Yeho Exo Connecticut. To become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get great cigars such as the Balmoral and Yeho Exo Connecticut, it's very simple. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95 per month, you will get three exquisite cigars shipped directly to you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club and experience great cigars such as the Balmoral Añejo Exo Connecticut. We've got two members of our three guests, former Army, that will be jumping behind enemy lines, recreating that uh, that night, June 5. D-Day Eve, jumping behind enemy lines that took place June 5, 1944. Lieutenant Colonel Rob Schaefer, Green Beret, Staff Sergeant Tyler Garner, Brennan Hollinger, all with Horse Soldier uh, Distillery and Bourbon, and they will be going, leaving, we're recording this on... Wednesday, May 29th, and in two days, Friday, May 31st, they are taking off for Europe, for the France uh, Theater of Operations, the Normandy Theater of Operations. And, uh, Rob, you gave me a hint on something, that we won't reveal it right now, <laughs> but we will, of course, on June 8th during our show, we will talk about what exactly you have planned. All I can say is it's going to be... met. As the French would say, c'est magnifique. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely magnificent and cannot wait. We will share that with everybody. So tell me, uh, leading up to this, is it almost surreal that you're going to be going over, getting ready for this thing? I mean, it's happening.
5: Oh, yeah. You know, an opportunity comes, like, comes along like this once in a lifetime. And as Rob mentioned a moment ago, you know, there's going to be very few of those men left who were over there uh, when this happened. So it's going to be an honor actually being able to meet those men and shake their hands and say thank you to them.
1: No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, uh, Brennan, you're kind of a young buck, uh, the youngest guy in the group. And, you know, when you see these, and and you've seen World War II veterans, and I'm sure you've spoken to them, somebody from a younger generation that may not be as familiar with World War II history, although I'm sure you are, but many, many. Kids today and younger adults are not, which is really a travesty. I, I really believe we should have one year of mandatory World War II history in every high school across this country. But what what comes to your mind when you think of these gentlemen at the time that were some they were below 18, some were 16, 17, 18, what they did. Tell us your thoughts on that.
7: Um, Just unbelievable man, like all these guys are heroes to me. Um, Every guy I work with every day are heroes in my opinion. Um, And seeing these World War II guys and hearing their stories uh, like my great grandpa, it just blows my mind. Um, But we got actually an opportunity some of our fundraising. um, We actually got to do a shooting of World War II weapons. Um, for a little uh, fundraiser for us again for this jump. Nice. Um, and we got to shoot with a lot of some of the veterans. Um, it was just a really cool bonding experience to get to shoot some of the guns that everyone shot back then. Um, and then we actually ended the day on the Victory Ship, which was just kind of a pre, pre-session to get us hyped up for this jump for Normandy. So. And I
1: should say that we are going to be recording the Cigar Dave tribute and 75th anniversary D-Day commemoration on the American Victory Ship on thursday june 6th because there's going to be a ton of festivities there so we will be there recording it and playing it on june 8th we wanted to do it on the actual day of d-day and we've got some interviews from some of the jumpers actually who went in behind enemy lines that unfortunately are no longer with us but the world war ii uh, museum in new orleans a number of years ago i want to say about Uh, 10 years ago for the 65th anniversary really was very helpful and we wanted to record because we knew they weren't going to be around and sadly a few years after we did it we got word that uh, the gentleman we had on the veteran from World War II and and, uh, D-Day is no longer with us but we're going to replay some of those interviews I'm going to be talking to Cigar Mother Piera very emotional for her because she was A civilian in World War II in that she was living in Egypt at the time, and they were scared to death that the Desert Fox, Rommel, Rommel, the German uh, general, they were marching their way towards Egypt, Alexandria and Cairo. And luckily, the Allied forces, Montgomery, stopped them. But she told me uh, stories where they'd go into the bomb shelters and the sirens would go off. And because remember, Egypt at the time was uh, still a, a heavy English presence. So she's going to talk about her experiences and really as somebody and anybody that lived through World War II, people remember that. And uh, again, their lives could have changed dramatically if not for the bravery of the Allied forces and the great Americans that that took place on that. So we're now, uh, you guys are going to be leaving. Tell us about the travel plans. You leave from Tampa. Tell us your itinerary, where you're going.
6: So we leave from Tampa. We're going to head to Charles de Gaulle, and then uh, we have some transportation lined up to take us up to the peninsula up there. And and you know, you know this day, but maybe not all your listeners do. But I mean, this operation took 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 place over a very large uh, area that was up there. So we're going to head up. We'll be staying pretty much kind of right in the middle of that peninsula up there and then we'll be jumping, the initial jump will be on Caratan, uh, which again is one of the historical places where the jumpers went in. And uh, then as the other festivities, so the first few days while we're there, we have to do some pre-jump activities. We got to make sure that uh, parachutes are packed properly. We have to double check everything. We have to make sure we'll we'll do another rehearsal there because we always do a rehearsal from the actual aircraft right. before we do it. Uh, then we're going to spend some time working with uh, spending other folks that are have already been there and some of the old veterans and uh, anybody else who has anything to do with it. We're going to spend time with
1: fantastic. Well, safe travels, safe jumps to all of you. We will have the video, pictures, everything at CigarDave.com and social media. We will link to it. And uh, what you guys are doing, a long-ass snappy salute to all of you, and we cannot wait to see you back and get all the details. Cigar Dave, the general say, Mayor humor always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Thanks to Davidoff of Geneva here in Tampa for letting us uh, record and enjoy cigars and bourbon. D-Day 75th anniversary tribute show next Saturday on the Cigar Dave Show.